Welcome to The Point, I'm Indy Todd. Today, a conversation about preconceptions of disability and the promise of a truly inclusive society. Actor Amy Brenneman has starred in shows like Judging Amy, Private Practice, The Leftovers, Heat, and The Old Man. She's coming to Katuit Center for the Arts for her play Overcome, which is an autobiographical journey covering her experiences as a parent of a child with a rare chromosomal abnormality. Also joining us, David Keene, Executive Director of the Katuit Center for the Arts. Amy and David, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. So um, tell us a little bit, Amy, about Overcome, which you're going to be performing in March at the Katuit Center for the Arts. This is sort of an autobiographical journey? Yes, very much so. Um, Overcome started out as a piece called Threshold um, way back in 2016. And, um, you know, I often take, um, I'm, I'm sort of a collage artist. I would actually use that word. I sort of, um, and Sabrina, who's my longtime partner and creative, um, creative inspirer and supporter, she always says, just write the things down that are interesting. Like if you even have that thought like, oh, that's noteworthy, write it down. So Threshold really um, was about being in between my mother who uh, is a Superior Court judge. She's passed away now. She was the first class of women at Harvard Law School. She was, her intellect was enormous. She's up there with Ruth. She knew Ruth, right? So that kind of brain. And then my daughter, who was born um, with a very rare chromosomal abnormality, resulting in what the culture would call an intellectual disability. And I always thought, I always joked that I was kind of the, um, you know, the UN interpreter in between these two spirits that I loved so much, but had a very hard time communicating. In 2019, it really went kind of because I felt guilty about trashing my mom on stage. <laughs> it really morphed so that that point of view that I gave to my mother in 2016 really was more about what I called the dominant culture. And even though there were supports for Charlotte and people like her, really the sneaky subtext was just fit into our patriarchal capitalist society. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just be an able-bodied, quite literally, worker. Right. Um, and so it be, I began exploring, and I have that in me, I have functioned in capitalism quite well, right? So, um, but, but really what, what the extraordinary spirit of Charlotte, and frankly, the world that she has uh, granted me into, um, spun my head. Um, and I, you know, I, I often, and because Charlotte didn't get a diagnosis until she was 15, it's such a rare thing. And because it's what the, what the, what we would refer to as an invisible uh, disability, right? Mm -hmm. So she has friends in wheelchairs. She has friends with Down syndrome. She has friends where the disability is a little bit more visual, visible. Hers is not. Um, so now, of course, in my mama heart, it's like, oh my gosh, it's literally like I had a, a gay kid mm -hmm. and I didn't know it. And I was sort of jamming her into a, a, the hole that I thought I was supposed to jam her into. So it's really about, you know, the journey that we've been on. I always say to her, it's, it's, and I, I say to people like you, it's very much the story of an ally and a parent. It's not Charlotte's story. Mm -hmm. She can write her own play someday, and I'm sure it'll be a good to it. Yeah. She loves David so much. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah, you mentioned Sabrina. We should mention you co-created this with Sabrina Peck. Um, and I, and I, don't, I know you probably know, David knows this. I also have a daughter with an intellectual disability. And Amazing. It, yeah, and, and I love what you said about sort of invisible. It's, a, it's, it's kind of like there are these expectations, right? Because, and for, you know, they present well, if you will, that people think that they think, you know, normally, but, but they don't. And there's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's tough. But before we get more into the play, I want to know, David, how did you and Amy meet? 
Well, and before it just occurred to me, Mindy, this is so interesting. And Amy, you will love this. Mindy's daughter was maybe the first intern yes. that Katua ever had. Amazing. And yeah, and in my very first year, 15 years ago, when I started here, uh, she was working with uh, one of the visual arts educators. And, and that's how, uh, that's how Mindy and I actually met. And she thrived. I mean, that was such Yeah. a great opportunity for her. Uh, and Yeah. in that art world, she felt more normal, right? And Right. less It, it judgment. was, Yeah, exactly. yeah, All right. So how yeah. did you and Amy meet? Well, so I had, uh, I'm friends with uh, Melissa uh, Chartron now from, who works as the arts and culture representative from the town of Barnstable. And she had emailed me and, and about a group of parents of students from Riverview were looking to find housing for uh, their uh, children who were going to be graduating as adults out of the program. And uh, we're interested in having them in Hyannis in a place where it was convenient to walk and, and have jobs and transportation and all of that. And then, of course, you know, um, to one in particular, maybe more, arts and culture were important. And she only referred to Amy as Amy. <laughs> and so she said, uh, and, you know, I told uh, this woman that I thought she should meet you and uh, get a tour of the center because you have so much going on. And it sounds it, it's such a great place. And would you mind having a Zoom meeting to connect? And then maybe you guys can arrange a tour at some point. So uh, she sent me the information and I'm like, It says Amy Brenneman here. Like that, <laughs> that can't be, it can't be Amy Brenneman, Amy Brenneman. So in our first meeting, I had to like get all of my fan stuff out of the way Yeah, because you were it a big was fan that first me. huge. And, you know, I've been around the globe a few times and, and have met a lot of people. And I am seriously a huge, huge fan of Amy. Um, I, I was a, a a big fan of judging Amy and then um, all of the shows and the practice. And then I got obsessed with the leftovers. So I had to get all of that out and Amy popped up on my zoom screen and it's like, I, I can't believe it. And then, you know, sometimes you think, I hope this person is everything I want this person to be. And then I think there, this connection started. And then Amy, when, when you brought Charlotte, Um, and Brad to the center to do the tour that first time. Um, we just had the most incredible conversation talking about some of the opportunities that existed and desires about inclusion, but really about the dream of what it can look like in the future. And it, it just, um, that's what started our connection. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, Amy, tell us a little bit more about Charlotte. You know, rare disorders, obviously, can be really tough to diagnose. And you said she wasn't diagnosed till she was 15. It's so frustrating to try. I had someone, wasn't, my daughter wasn't that quite that old to be diagnosed. She was more like, you know, eight. But um, it is, you like, you think it might be this, then it might be that. And, and it's so frustrating because you want to help but you don't know what to do. You don't know what's wrong. Um, tell us a little bit more about Charlotte. Uh, well, the early years were awful, you know, I mean, not, not globally awful, although it's interesting because a lot of the stories in Overcome um, are from that time. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I often would say, I wouldn't say this now, But, you know, in terms of services, it's like my friends whose kids got an autism diagnosis at three, you know, this was in LA, I'm sure it's similar, um, most every place, 
go to regional center, do this, do that, do that. You know, you had a play, you had a community, you know, David knows I'm a huge community person. Like I am, came out of my mother's womb, like a community, <laughs> not only organizer, but neater, you know, that's, I'm a 12 stepper. I'm a, you know, that's who I am. And so, you know, for the early days, it's like, oh, well, we're not in the special ed or special needs like that, or we're there for a short time. That's sort of a running thing. And it's like, I'm we're just going to get some services and then we'll go back to normal land, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, I look at these pictures and we had a lot of fun too, but I, and she, and she was my first, right? I have a, I have a son who came four years after. Um, so I just was constantly, you know, afraid she was going to have a tantrum or what set her off. And I didn't know. And, um, and we would go. And also, you know, I, I recently established her as a, as a resident of Massachusetts to get services there. And, and, um, and she also got social security because of this chromosomal thing. Right. And so the Massachusetts guy was like, send me every IEP assessment, this and that. And I'm like, I can, I'm telling you what's going to qualify her is this, but okay. And once again, I just said to my husband, like, it is a wonder we survived yeah. every four to six months, something devastating, like devastating, you know, and no answers. Right. Yeah. But we just, you know, Charlotte, I mean, David knows her and she loves David. So, I mean, she has this spirit that's always been there, you know, of like, she's a really positive person. So I'm like, wow, I look at the paper and it's grim. I look at this person, she's funny. And so it was really, and then I think what happened, and I, this is very much dramatized in the, in the show. There's this, with somebody like Charlotte and perhaps like your daughter, there's this thing about catching up. It's so much anxiety, right? And it's like the windows are closing, all of this language that's so unproductive. Mm -hmm. And in seven, in middle school, it was like, you got to get her, da, da, da. she's got to get her high school diploma, blah, 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 blah. We got this neuropsych that was devastating. And I remember sitting on my swing and I tell this story in the, in the, and just weeping. And I remember thinking someday I'm going to create a theater piece with a Star Wars scroll of everything the culture says is wrong with my daughter. And I'm going to fucking dance in front of it. And I do. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, you know, what I say is the dream of catching up was over. And from that point, it's like an alcoholic getting sober. My father was sober and alcoholics Anonymous for 35 years. There's, I do know bottoms are good. And that was a bottom. Mm -hmm. That's like, let go, baby. Yeah. And from then on, we went to, I didn't worry about typical culture. And then she started saying, you know, in high school, we had, we had a wonderful elementary school that practiced inclusion very well. Middle school, it starts to get dicey, right? Just because people yeah. are like doing their thing. And she, and the whole thing is inclusion, inclusion, but my sort of, you know, those um, wonderful bumper stickers for uh, when you adopt a pet and it says who adopted who, right. I always think who's including who, mm -hmm. who's including who, because in most inclusion classrooms, it's going to be nine neurotypical and my daughter, and it sucks to be in a minority all the time. Yeah. And whether or not you call her, she's self-segregating, I don't care what you call it. She wanted to be with her peers and she chose a high school and then Riverview was just heaven. And since then, and then she got her diagnosis, um, which, which is not a small thing. It's a, it's a chromosomal abnormality. And when that came through, you know, my brother, I have two brothers, and he was weeping. And he said, it's like we've been asking her to run a marathon and she has one leg. We didn't know. And I'm like, God, what this person has done with the disability she had. So then it just started to shift. Yeah. And then it was like, let me support you in what you need. Let me celebrate you. Also... Can I add, normal culture sucks. <laughs> what are we doing, man? We can't practice this patriarchal capitalism toxicity. You know what I mean? It's all falling away. It's all being 
uh, analyzed in a good way. And guess what? People like Charlotte and her community are leading the way because they've right. been on the margins for a long time. Right. And have so much to offer. It's like, you know, they. this is, you know, the thing there, it's, they have, you. everybody has something that's unique about them. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And when you find out what that strength is, yeah, I mean, that's what you play. I can remember the same thing when, when my daughter was younger and they were like, well, you need to get her into vocational school. We need to, you know, tra-. I'm like, well, how do we know she can't, how do you know she can't go to college? How do you, we know, how do we know that? Um, so I always felt like, you know, you kind of have to leave all the doors open because we just, you right. just don't know um, what that capability might be. So I'm going to talk about overcoming. It, it includes movement and music. So tell us about, you know, this isn't just you up there telling a story, right? And you've got a lot more elements no. going on. Yeah. Yeah. So Sabrina and I met when I was 18, which was, you know, last year. <laughs> and I was a dancer in this production of Working that we did at the Loeb Drama Center in Cambridge. We were undergraduates at Harvard. <clears throat> so she has a movement. She's a choreographer. She's a director. She's a she's an everything person. So we always like um, and, I, and I do mean collages. It's like we always like the element of the story to be expressed how it needs to be expressed. So there's direct address. So there is like, hi, I'm Amy. I'm telling you the story. But then we go into um, scenes. I break out, um, you know, into dialogue and there's other actors involved. Mostly um, the, the, the idea really is most of them are disembodied voices because I'm just sort of battling shadows until everybody kind of gets embodied and I'm a little bit more present. So that's the overall thing. Um, and then, yeah, we have these two dancers and it becomes very abstract when it needs to. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but when my fears come up, it's a night, it's a horror show, right? I'm not, that's not a time for articulated thoughts, right? So we really just sort of let it go where it needs to go. Um, and it's, it's, and it's entertaining, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, I, I, I think that, um, you know, that's that we just love to explore all the different elements we could. We love to bring in live musicians. We might have that amazing cellist come in. Um, and, you know, this this particular production, um, you know, it was it was set and we have most of it all, you know, but we are working around schedules, my schedule, other people's schedules. So there's always an improvis improvisatory quality to some of it, um, which I welcome. Yeah. We are discussing the play Overcome and Preconceptions about people with disabilities, and we'll have more after a break. You're listening to The Point. We're talking with actor Amy Brenneman and David Keene, executive director of the Katuit Center for the Arts. David, I wonder if you talk a little bit about perceptions of people with disabilities. We have this perception, just like I'm saying, like we need to get your daughter in the vocational. Uh, we don't always recognize what they are capable of, right? We kind of put them in this right. little box. Right, exactly. And um, I, I'd love to give a shout out to Melissa Kenny, who is the our director of outreach and inclusion, who um, it has a career, you know, working in these areas. And and before she came on staff, um, you, you know, I think part of the problem is that until you're really in it, you don't know how to talk about it. You don't know what's okay to to say or do or think and. You know, I look back and so often I'm thinking that there has to be more we can offer and rather than just handing out programs at uh, an event. And what does inclusion mean? I mean, what what is true inclusion? And then we we started. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the pivotal moments for me was when we did a production of Dr. Doolittle some years ago. And uh, Tristan DiVincenzo, who was the director, included 
uh, for um, uh, people with disabilities who were not at all marginalized in the show. And it's the first time I had witnessed that, frankly, because we either we have our Cape Cod CAM program, which is incredible, and they do their own performances mm -hmm. and their own programs, and that's wonderful. Then when they're fully inclusive in a production, it's a completely different thing. There's no differentiation between anyone in the show, what anyone was doing. And then that led us to the conversations about, um, but not everyone is interested on in being on a stage right. or performing. So that started the impetus for our first ever serious internship program that started last fall uh, around Matilda. And there, so we had a theater intern program and an outreach intern program. The outreach interns worked on the art bus, the Marjorie Lynn art bus, going out into the community, working with the teachers on the bus to deliver visual art programs for all kinds of people. And Mindy, I know you're familiar with that. I know the uh, art bus, yes. yes. <laughs> and then in the theater, we designed it so that we had six uh, or four theater interns. Um, Charlotte was one of our first uh, intern in the program, but we took it very seriously to say, okay, how do we structure this so that all of the interns learn about uh, sound engineering, about hair and makeup, uh, building props, and uh, what happens before the show opens each day, the rehearsal process, uh, the tech weekend and feeding the cast and you know, e literally every single aspect of what it takes to mount a show. And then when the show opened, each of them had a specific role during the run of the show. And we learned a lot, you know, there are, uh, it's always areas of improvement that we will do, but it was incredible because the four theater interns were a part of the casting crew, 100% included into everything that you would expect when you experience something like that, which for anyone who hasn't is magical. Yeah. There's nothing like being a part of, of, of an experience like that. Yeah. So um, we're very, very happy that we're, that we have someone that can help guide us because I couldn't do that. You know, I didn't have the toolbox to, to do any of that and to, to have some of this really saying, you know, this is how you should do it. This is how we grow and how we initiate. So it's a, it's a wonderful. No, Melissa, I'm so glad you mentioned Melissa because she's, she, I always think of you and she as like the mama and papa, you know, <laughs> because also you have a, um, a production to, to mount and a center to run, but the kids, the interns would know that Melissa is there for any particular question. You know, it's funny, it's really wise, um, he was our executive director at um, Charlotte went to a school called Chime Charter, which is very forward in its in its thinking about inclusion. It's in, in, in L.A. And we were talking about middle school and we were talking about how and, and he really and you may know this um, already. But, you know, from an educational perspective or honestly, a, a human development perspective, when kids are young. Right. They look for similarities. Right. They look for like we are the world. We are all the same. And then, and then they start to differentiate and go like, you know, I'm a saxophone player, I'm a soccer player, you know, and they go into affinity groups and that's okay. You know, that's essentially what Charlotte was saying. Like, I want to be with my friend who's nonverbal in a wheelchair. Cause guess what? Talking is sort of stressful for me. So I'm, when I'm around neurotypical peers, it's, I, it's a little exhausting. I'd, I'd like to be around my nonverbal friend. Right. But then you get that home base right? It's just like all of us. And then you get to go out into the world. And if you have a crappy day, you go back to your home base and be like, ah, I had a crappy day. 
So it's really not that binary thing. When you think about it, it's like, oh my gosh, that's, a, you know, I love my theater people. They're my homies, mm-hmm. right? Go out to Hollywood, like, yeah, I'm a little scared, but I got my home base. And I feel like that's, you know, that's sort of the movement of it for every person. But it's just like with when you have a disability, <clears throat> you know, it's like you have to be in, you know, you have to be in typical classrooms. That's the mark of success. It's like, it's both. Yeah. It's both, you know? Yeah. And there's a, the challenges as a parent, um, I can think of thinking two quick things. I, I had another parent of, who has a, a nonverbal autistic son, and she was staying at my house because she was doing a class. And she was like, it's just so nice to be able to talk parent to parent to another parent who really understands what, you know, what we go through. But um, I'm thinking of the challenges as well as a parent. You also, there's a part of you that wants to be protective, right? But yet you want them to explore the world. And I'm thinking when my daughter was working, interning at Katoot Center for the Arts, the first time she took the bus and I was very nervous. And I said, you know, tell, the bus driver is going to tell you when to get off the bus. Well, she calls me and she goes, I, 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 I got off the bus at the wrong time. I'm like, well, where are you? And she said, well, there's a bank and a supermarket. I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God. Right. <laughs> So we're, a bank is, that could be anywhere, but luckily she gave her phone to somebody else who told me where she was. I said, get back on the bus. <laughs> and then she did. But I mean, that can be really nerve wracking, right? So there's, right. there's, there's a lot of, of challenges as well as opportunities that go with all of that. You know, I think that's, and I, I'm such a, this is my favorite word in the world, but I think, I think the community and the partnership and partly what we, as David said, you know, there's eight of these River River grads living um, on this apartment building and, and, and Main Street or where we South Street in Hyannis. You know, my, when we were looking at, um, and I know you've been through this, Mindy, it's like, okay, what does adulthood look like? Right. And so you, so it's like, oh, they live in, I remember way back in, in, uh, in Los Angeles um, before Riverview. And it's like, what, what kind of services? It's like, oh, she'll live in an apartment by herself and somebody (laughs) will come for two hours a day. I was like, that sounds horrible. Like I would hate that, you know, it's like, and you know, how do you build that community? Um, you know, so like, I mean, of course, she's going to be out there and have have the experiences like you did. But it's like, can she go with a friend? You know, <laughs> between the two of them, right. they'll probably figure it out. <laughs> exactly. David, talk a little bit about the power of arts and culture. Well, I, you know, my philosophy, I, I said every dog and pony show that uh, I can do when I go out on the road is that I, I believe arts and culture are as important to the community as the air we breathe and the food we eat. And it's an essential uh, piece of who we are collectively and um, for for everyone. And there's so many layers and and, and spectrums. And and, uh, what what I've been able to witness over the past 15 years being here at the center in terms of the community is just incredible. Because they, you know, I often... Um, before I came to Ketuit, I had a long, I'm older too, I had a long career in the in the for-profit record business, you know, mostly in New York and LA. And um, and I had that thing when I came here of, you know, the, uh, the culture is only in New York City. It doesn't exist anywhere else. And to finally have an epiphany where, you know, I was called on the carpet by someone at a party that said, you know, you, you're really lucky to have these experiences, but it doesn't mean that uh, people don't need it or have the talent wherever they live. And it was an epiphany. And that that's so my job here is to be responsible for providing a platform where others create to the highest possible quality within the world 
we occupy. And I think a Amy would admit too, it's remarkable the local talent that we have here and some of our, you know, actors who, you know, who are non-professional, uh, that all have other jobs. Uh, it, it's just incredible. Same thing with, with visual art and then however anyone soaks it up or participates in it is what makes us who we are mm -hmm. as a group of people. Yeah. So that's Amy. But I, I also want to, I want to give a shout. I mean, I don't, the, the environment that you have shepherded, David, and, you know, just speaking as an artist and as a producer, but as an artist, people don't shine like that unless they feel safe. Mm. And, and a place does not get, is not, you know, that's, that's a, that's a cultivation of like, what are our values? Our values are to create a safe space for people to try something new or, but, you know, even a seasoned professional, like I've never done comedy or whatever it is. And I also think the physical space of Ketuit, I mean, you walk on that campus and even the trees, it's like, ah, oh, this feels good. Yeah. It feels good for audiences and artists. And um, that that takes some thinking. So yeah. thank you. But I, I would thank love you. to hear your thoughts, Amy, on our local actors, because I know you've been to many productions over at uh, Ketuit and even on the Vineyard. We are so, just so lucky to have these folks, as, as David's saying, who do other things, but are just so talented. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, Sabrina and I are, we're coming in for a block of rehearsals and they're so talented that um, it's like, uh, I'm a teacher. <laughs> I guess saying like Sabrina, they have jobs. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I want to, um, I, right out of college, uh, along with uh, my partner, Bill Roush and others, we started something called the Cornerstone Theater Company, which is actually still going. And we are, we were very, really the epiphany that you talked about, David, we, because we were undergrads at Harvard and sitting in the back of the lobe, sometimes being in the show, sometimes watching Robert Wilson, Joanna Colitis, this was the 80s and 90s. And, and, and yet there was something in us where like everybody on stage, everybody in the audience at that point was very white and very wealthy. It's like, does this make sense? Like there was something about us that were sort of egalitarian. So we were on the road for, I mean, our whole thing was, uh, you know, site-specific community-based theater. And there, you know, finding people not quite as talented as the ones you have, David, but sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember doing um, this production of the Oristaya on the Walker River um, Paiute Indian Reservation in Nevada. And of course, we're <laughs> doing the Oristaya. And I remember Ricky Whitefeather, who was this local indigenous kid, he was like 10 or 11, he was in it. And there was like a monologue coming on. I'm waiting to, I was doing quite a mess, I'm waiting to enter. And Ricky Whitefeather was like, just turned to me and he's like, this is the boring part of the play. And I was about to say like, no, it's very, and then I was like, Ricky's right. <laughs> said, no, this is a really, so it's those fresh eyes of like, is this relevant? Is it entertaining? And it, and it's really the end. I think we were probably in our heart of hearts, anti New York culture, as you were saying, maybe because we were East coast kids, but we're like, <laughs> if it's not meaningful to audiences everywhere, we're not as interested Anyway, getting back to your yeah. question, oh my God, phenomenal talent. Yeah. I mean, and and I do think, you know, I've, and I'm getting to know some of them slowly. Um, some of them that have, I think it was, I don't know who you, you I don't know everybody's history. I want to get to know them better, but but those that have like, yeah, I was in New York a little bit, or I was in Boston a little bit, and I felt tense, or wasn't right for me, or. What's interesting is not only is it a hard slog, but sometimes, as an artist, you 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 lock up. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm actually doing better work 
where I can feel safe and free and supported. And that's the balance I want in my life. Um, and also the ongoing quality of it. You know, I, I, you know, when Matilda was over and Charlotte was like, I want to see the Matilda cat, you know, and I was like, yeah, what's awesome about an ongoing art center is you will see them. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's honestly why we started our theater company, because it was a heartbreak when a flight show was over. Right? But it's that ongoing quality of like, it's here. Yeah. And you'll be you'll see that person in another show for audience. I mean, I've seen some of these people in three or four shows now. It's a delight. Um, so it has that rep quality that I also love. And we also want to mention you produced and directed the documentary The Way the World Should Be about the trailblazing work of the Chime Institute and its mission of inclusive education. So this is really always dear to your heart is this in- inclusive education. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, so at Chime, um, uh, you know, it's kind of sim- why I like to it and, you know, putting on my show. So I was at Chime for a couple of years and then, um, and working like a dog on some TV show or another. And then I had, um, uh, and, and, and I, but I would participate in their fundraisers <clears throat> and they were always really a bummer. Like they were very somber <laughs> and like soulful. And I'm like, then I would go onto the playground. I was like, that is not what this place feels like. It feels really irreverent and funny and the kids are funny and it's LA. So the parents are funny. So I created something called Chime Palooza. Um, and we had, you know, Tom Morello come and play and we had plays written by, um, so, it, so, and then I was like, I want to, I want to capture because Chime, um, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a teacher training from CSUN. So it's really like best practices and it's, it's just, it's always been in me, but I also, also think I have this point of view of like, it's not so sad. Mm. It's not sad. Right. I mean, it's as sad as like, oh, my kid is trans, if you consider that sad, you know, but it's like, it's just a thing. Mm -hmm. And like, let's have the thing, you know, whatever we produce to express it feel like the actual environment, which is usually pretty irreverent and a lot of fun. We are discussing the play Overcome and Preconceptions about people with disabilities, and we'll have more after a break. Another Lunchbox. This one from Stan Owenkowski at the Steamship Authority in Woods Hole. Oh, I don't know. I have a I love you sandwich in here. I think it's a ham sandwich and yogurt and banana and cookies and juice and granola bar and all kinds of goodies. Could you describe the I love you sandwich? Oh, that's from my wife. She always does that to me. She loves me. That's just a ham sandwich that tells me that she loves me. That she made me a nice sandwich. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're listening to the Cape and Islands NPR stations. You're listening to The Point. We are discussing the play Overcome and Preconceptions about People with Disabilities with actor Amy Brenneman and David Keene, Executive Director of the Katuit Center for the Arts. Overcome is described as funny, poignant, and powerful. So what is it that you're hoping the audience walks away with? You know, I, um, well, it's funny. So Charlotte and her cohort graduated from the Riverview School, which I also give a huge shout out to, and also Greg Simpson, who does their music and drama 
very much in line with everything I'm saying. And um, there was some parent outreach sort of um, a little bit coming out of Zoom, but you know, some book clubs and articles or whatever. And similarly, it was all really sad. Like it was all like disability as a super sad thing. And, and I kept saying, like, I have this play that, because I, I go, you know, Mindy, you'll relate to all of, like, it's literally an IEP and the ridiculousness mm -hmm. of the language of the, an IEP. Educators howl with, all I did was write it down, you know? So I'm like, I have this play and I've never, coming out of our 2019 workshop production, I was like, I just want a full production. We got one at this wonderful theater, South Coast Rep in California, and then COVID. Um, so you know, I've always, I always want to remount this one, but it's specifically for the Riverview community. So the Friday of that weekend is part of their, what they call transition weekend. So I reached out to Stuart, who's the executive director of Riverview a, a year ago, I guess, David, and said, can we plant this? Mm -hmm. So I want to have a talk back with, with these stakeholders who will understand every word. Um, yeah. So I hope people relate to it. I hope they find it funny. I mean, I think for most of us, you know, that found our way to Riverview and now to, to the Cape, it's been a joyful homecoming with a lot of similar isolation and difficulty leading up to, so it's a, it's really a time of celebration, which is where the play, um, you know, there's some dark moments in the play, but it really lead, leaves us with this sense of, um, of, of real optimism. And, and, Charlotte comes out at the end, which was a very uh, last minute thing in 2019 but when she comes on stage with me, first of all, she's fabulous and beautiful and all sorts of wonderful things. But it, but what Sabrina and I realized is it made the audience feel exhale, right? Because I've been telling stories about a person that we haven't seen. Right. And just by her coming on stage, it's like, oh, she blesses this production. And it's okay that I told these stories. But I, I will tell you this one quick story. When we were in 2019, you know, we're in my barn in Martha's Vineyard and trying to mount the show. And um and Charlotte hadn't seen it in 2016. And, and there's this awful moment, which was based on when I scream at her and I say, what the f is wrong with you? I mean, it's awful. It's a low point. It was a low point in life. It's a low point in the play. And Sabrina said, hey, do you want to give Shara a heads up about this scene? <laughs> I was like, yes, that's a good idea. So I turned to Charlotte and I said, you know what, honey, this is about that time when you were young, when you didn't have a lot of words. And I didn't really know how to help you. And we were both super frustrated. You were screaming, I was screaming. That's not the way it is anymore, but I'm gonna tell, us. and she 100% she got it. Mm. And she's so proud, David, it's so interesting because not only is she friends with her Matilda friends, but she's like, I wanna sit with them, they're gonna come to it. And I think partly she just loves a show and, and those, but I was like, oh, she knows this is a way for us to tell our story a little bit to, yeah. to some new friends. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. It's really and, cool. And, and uh, it's also reminding me that that the these other opportunities that go two ways. Uh, Charlotte wrote a play and uh, and asked some of the actors who were in the summer's production of Hello, Dolly, if they would uh, come to her residence and and be the be the characters of the play um, with some of her friends. And of course, everyone who was asked did. And it was so wonderful. And they're just like th these uh, connections that are just incredible.
Um, she wrote, she's really a, a special, special person. Oh, yeah. thank you for that. And they, that's, that's, I'm going back to, I'm thinking, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, it depends of course on like the severity of the disability, but a lot of times it can be a superpower. I love that. Greta Thunberg, when she said her Asperger's was a superpower, I went, of course, you know, I, I love that she looks at that as a superpower. Um, and you know, for, for, yeah. my, for my daughter, it's like, she was special at everything all the way through school, except AP art. She's a very gifted artist. And so wow. she has, so that is her like superpower. Yeah. Well, but every, yeah. everybody has one. There's, you just yeah. have to, we just have to find it. Well, and I, and I think, I think the other reason that we've all gotten happier is we're out of that IEP system, which is brutal as much as, and you know, they're getting more sensitive about how to deliver services. And we had wonderful people along the way. We didn't have to be people. It's the system. And there's somehow, I think I wrote a, po a Facebook post, uh, David, when uh, it was last spring when you guys were so sweet and came to Riverview to see a production there. And on the flight out, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a documentary about basically queer spaces in the 70s. And you just watch these really unique souls and bodies dancing and finding safe spaces to be who they are. And then I show up and I watch this Riverview uh, play and it had a similar quality and I was like oh it's the original queer space it's the theater like what you just said Mindy about the comfort we don't talk about inclusion in theater because it's always been inclusive mm -hmm. you know yeah. it's like it, 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 it's just you know it's the cross-dressers and the, the, who gives a yeah. um so I think that it's just a natural place in a not contrived way right it's not nothing against Special Olympics. With Special Olympics, it's like, you guys are over here. You know, you're not going to be on this football team. But in theater and art making spaces, you really have this natural uh, opportunity to really just be together, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that, and adulthood also is that way too. And celebrate individuality, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. David, I wanted to ask you, to, I've told this story many times, but you tell it better than I do. And when we go back to the, the power of art, the, the field trip where the, where the kid is asking all the questions, tell, tell, yeah, that, tell I that story. I, I, I love that story. Well, and we're at, we, we just finished the winter art from this year, which is the, in the, the first art exhibition of each year has a theme where, um, and then the art is all hung at a four foot viewing level and we do field trips with uh, pretty as many of the um, grade school and ele elementary school and junior high kids and, and high school. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, this year we had two uh, big Riverview groups who came in and did a docent tour. So they get a docent tour and an art project. And the, the first year um, I was here, or maybe the second, there was um, in the winter, it was a probably five or six o'clock at night. So it was pitch dark. I was the only person on campus. I happened to be in the theater. The lights were out and a car drove in the driveway very slowly and turned around and I opened the door and there was um, a family of four, a father and a mother and, and a young girl and boy. And uh, they rolled the window down and asked if we were open. I said, you know, I'm sorry, we're open 10 to four in the winter. If you come back tomorrow, and the father said, oh, well, you know, my daughter was here with her class today. And when she came home, she made us get in the car so she could show her brother what she saw today. And uh, we came from Wellfleet, which, it, you know, they, they drove 45 minutes to get here. 
So of course, you know, I turn on all the lights, open the doors, and I'm and I hear this this grade school kid giving the docent tour to her brother, just the way she heard it. I'm like tears are streaming down my my cheek, and I'm like, this is it. We one person at that age that we touch by what we do, we fill our mission. And, you know, these years later, you know, I, I forget how much we've grown. We had like 67 members when I started and we're like 2,500 now that help support keeping the place alive. And there are people that we don't even know the impact that we have sometimes. Right. And because uh, I'm one of those people, it was my third, there was no music or or, or culture really in uh, in my house growing up. It was my elementary school music teacher that first, you know, got me to take piano lessons and and became obsessed with music. And the, the uh, it's just so, I know I, I could go on and on and on as you know, Mindy, but I love that impact that we have on so many levels. And, and, and I think we're having it now in a really meaningful way for um for more people with disabilities that that um because we're making a, a real serious effort to take our outreach seriously our inclusion seriously and um uh it, it's a great feeling yeah and for the i also want to just uh, you know coming out of um not only post post covid <laughs> i'm making my little quotation marks um but also in the in the screen uh, ubiquitousness of of streaming um, I just want to, again, talk about physically coming together um, and what that is. And so I, I think that we're become, listen, screens are here to stay. Yay for Zoom. We're doing this. Yay. But then you kind of go, it's not everything, right? And, and, and I think that in, you know, when people are hurling, uh, I'm, a, I'm a door knocker for Swing Left. Yay. Um, and somebody's like, how are you? And I'm, I get very nervous. Are you kidding me? But I always feel better. Because people are not going to, first of all, you're knocking on friendly doors. And second of all, I do have faith in human beings that they're not going to hurl, or very rarely will they hurl the cruelty that is so easy to do online. It's just, it's just easier to do. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I want to say about Katuit, and also shout out to one of my partners, Susan Batista, who created a gallery space um, in the, called Hyphen in the residence where our kids live. Um, and she's a visual artist and a brander, and she and her partner have a so we're going to do, um, I think, I don't, I think you know about this, David, uh, February, they're going to do a workshop with kids, our kids, and, and, and probably outside of our aid as well, that ties into my show. And it's going to be about labels and language. And she has, she works with Gateway Art. So the cross-pollination, so again, whether you're, whether you love music or visual arts or theater, there's a really unique community of, of of true creativity, you know, of like, oh, how can I, um, my friend David, uh, Dave Zabowski talks about um, plussing, you know, yes and. It's like, oh, that's awesome. And then I could augment that over here. So it really has in, in a very, you know, mostly because of David and Melissa Kenny, in a pretty quick, um, short amount of time uh, has built this foundation of this, these inclusive art makers that, um, it's just really generative and exciting. Yeah, David, I want to ask you uh, about the the program, the intern program. Is it a year round? Uh, we'll put a link uh, to to it at our website, capeandislands.org. But for folks who might be going, what this intern program? Like, what do, what do we need to know? So we're doing it in in kind of seasonal. 
Um, so we're, we're uh, and when the interns, so we have six graduates, they have uh, diplomas, they graduated. So what that means now is that they um, uh, are able to volunteer or work on um, any production we have coming up or other outreach program in a multitude of capacities. And then our, our ultimate goal is that um, I, uh, to be able to hire, you know, and again, it's like, you, you know, the, the money's always hard, mm -hmm. but we want to have ultimately have stipends that we have uh, for productions where you can come on and maybe the graduates are then um, uh, the lead mentors for a new intern or actually works on a production team for a, a whole play or works on the summer on an outreach program. But to your answer your question, uh, there will be, uh, Melissa is taking applications and we will have, they're open, I believe like um, right now, we might be closed for the spring, uh, but then she's already working on the summer and the spring theater project will be Legally Blonde, uh, which nobody's gonna be interested in, wink, wink. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and then in the summer, it's a little shop of horrors. And then we're also going to be doing a family uh, daytime production on the outdoor stage that I want to get a lot of people involved in as well. And the, um, the way it works is the, each applicant has a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Melissa and they talk about goals and desires. And it, it's like a job interview. Mm -hmm. And they usually work with job coaches that and sometimes yes, sometimes no. And then uh, Melissa will um, pick the interns for that particular period. And then they come as a group and they do an orientation, which is exactly what we do for anyone who volunteers to work for the center. They sign up on the website, then they have to come to a group orientation. It's either Jason or I give them a tour of the campus. They learn about every aspect of what we do here. And then they break into their individual areas, whether it's theater or outreach. And then as a group, they do all of the learnings about the different areas. And then they split off into their actual work on the show or the project. It's a great program. And um, I think we're planning to do it four times a year, yeah, three awesome. or four times a year. Yeah. Before we close, in, I just wondered if maybe, you know, as you know, and I think parents of kids with disability knows, it can be so overwhelming. Uh, emotional roller coaster. You, everything's going fine and just waiting for that shoe to drop, right? So, advice that you would give to a parent who is out there thinking, "Oh my gosh, yes, this is so overwhelming." And and you know, how do you how how do you help your child best? Hang in there as well. One. <laughs> well, don't you're not alone. You know, that's that's the first. I mean, I'm in a special needs mom group that um, I've been in since Charlotte was in fourth grade, fifth grade. And now our kids are 22 and 23. And it is so beautiful to get support, to get resources, um, to celebrate, and then also, you know, go through the crappy times together. So I would say, you know, get support for yourself, whatever that looks like. Um, yeah, and I think just think creatively. I think that the 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 really painful um and i guess i guess really this is this is the moment in time that i write most about in the play the really painful moment is like ah they almost can fit into a typical classroom <laughs> you know and i think to let go of that being the goal right. right it's just and and you know there's grief of course you know like when charlotte started high school it's like we can't get her to a diploma in four years and i was like okay 
you know, but that doesn't, isn't to say when she's 30, she can take algebra, you know, whatever mm -hmm. she would need to take. It's unlikely, <laughs> but, <laughs> but point being, it's like you, you, you let go of your, you know, and again, I think that's because I, I am not overly, I am not my mother's brain. Right. But I do come from like, everybody goes to college kind of thing. Um, but you know, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law who, who went to college and successful career and all that, but she had ADHD back in the sixties. And so my mother-in-law was, was much more understanding. She's like, Oh, I remember that. Whereas my mother was like, what's wrong with her? Yeah. You know? Um, so I think find, find your group, find your support. Um, and also it's a better time now. It's a better and better time to right. have, to, if you're in any previously marginalized community, this is a moment where people are like loud and proud. So, so it can give us solace too. Right. Amy Brenneman starred in shows like Judging Amy, Private Practice, The Leftovers, Hate, The Old Man, and she is going to be performing Overcome at the Katuit Center for the Arts. David Keene, Executive Director of the Katuit Center for the Arts, thank you both for taking time with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We're excited. I'm Indy Todd. Thanks for listening. The Point is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. Production assistance from Jenny Junker. Theme music by Benjamin Verdery and William Coulter. 